friends, the episode you are about to hear is one of my most favorite episodes, my most favorite interviews. Just an FYI, there is some language that's not appropriate for children, but it is an amazing episode and I can't wait for us to dive in. Let's go. Hello, beautiful souls. Welcome to the Angels and Awakening podcast. I'm your host, Julie Jancis, and I am so excited because today is a very, very special day. We have on a guest who has been by far the biggest teacher in my life in 2020, Louisa Duran. And you've heard me affectionately refer to her by her nickname, Weez. She has two podcasts, according to Weez, and that's not how this works with Trudy LeBron. Weez, welcome to the show. Hi. I'm very excited to be here. Oh, I'm so excited to have you. Well, everybody here knows that I took your 16-week crash course extended, which goes into like 12 weeks of anti-racist work, decolonization Mm -hmm. work, and then four weeks on patriarchy and looking at that. And I've got to say above and beyond. Like, I feel bad saying this because tell me if I'm wrong. I don't know to say it. Slap my hand a couple of times here, Weez. Okay. Okay. So I took this course because I saw that my silence was part of the problem. And in no way, shape or form was it for me to get anything out of this course, but to learn how I could help or be a support. Right. And yet, taking your course was like working with the best therapist for like 30 years. Like it, it was 30 years worth of work Mm -hmm. in 16 weeks. Yeah. No, that's like, there's no hand slapping like that. (laughs) So the reason for that, and, and I think this is where a lot of people get confused, you know, or like maybe like the waters get really muddy. Um, Cause the intentionality is is totally on point, right? Like, Hey, I hold certain identity privilege. I'm totally seeing how my silence is complicit in upholding these systems of oppression. I have to do something. Uh, my identity privilege means I have no idea what that means. You know, like, I don't know what to do and I don't know how to do it. So let me go learn. And so that intention is, is beautiful. And that's what we want it to be, right? Because we don't want it to be centering people who have privileged identities, right? So like as a cisgendered heterosexual woman, when I am on my journey to be an accomplice, an advocate for trans, queer, non-binary, gender non-conforming folks, I'm never like, how do I like, oh, I'm going to go through this so that this is, this is going to be wonderful for me. And it's like, I can get through 30 years of therapy in 16 weeks, right? It's how do I show up for this particular, right? Segment of the population that is marginalized in ways that I'm not. Now, this is where people kind of get muddied. The reality is in order to do that, you have to become a version of yourself that can step into advocacy, that can step into accompliceship. And in order to become the version of yourself that has to do that, you do have to decolonize. You have to, this is why I always say I'm healing centered. I used to say trauma informed, but I'm working on decentering trauma. So I've recently changed my languaging to say that I'm healing centered in the work that I do. You have to heal your childhood wounds. You have to heal any of the woundings that have resulted in your attachment styles. You have to heal all of the, you know, trauma that results in, that results rather from just you having lived in the world. And then 
you look at all of the ways in which society as a whole actually informs a lot of the reasons why you were traumatized and wounded and hold the beliefs that you do and are hyperproductive and never rest and, you know, silence yourself and, and all of those other things. So it, I always tell people, I'm like, you go into this work or you, well, I can't speak for anyone else's like courses and how they work. You, you, you enter into one of my courses or one of, one of my containers with the intention of, I really want to be part of the solution. I want to help help in the dismantling. But what you come out of it with is I am fundamentally a more whole, healed, grounded, rooted person that now knows how to honor my humanity and others' humanity because I've liberated myself. And by way of my liberation, I'm now able to aid in the liberation of others. And that's just a happy default. But it really is like life changing like and truly profound it's like in so many different ways in every area of my life well and one of the wildest things that happened is the very first you know project that you gave us in the course was just do a video about yourself you know like this should be easy (laughs) and you're like um so go through and here's this definition of all of these terms understand (laughs) these definitions and then like what is your sexuality? And literally we like, that's the first time that anybody had ever asked me Mm -hmm. 38 years. And that's the first time that anybody's ever asked me that question. Now I had had this conversation with my husband and one close friend, but I had never told anybody else. And so that was just like, that was my introduction to the crash course. I was like, Oh, we're going to go deep. Like, (laughs) go really fucking deep. And yeah. Yeah. But like I came out this year because the other thing that you say in your class is like, we might be on week 15 and you are still processing stuff from week one. So when we come to today's podcast and I got to tell the listeners, like I have really thought a lot about this interview for about six months because I wanted to like really make you proud. And I don't want people to think that who I am in my journey is a reflection of your teaching because I had to take a step back and I feel like I kind of stunted my growth process. Mm. I was like, Ooh, I haven't dealt with my, my sexuality. Yeah. Yeah. So it's go through again. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, there's an alumni mastermind. I know it's happening. It's funny you say that because so obviously you've been through my, right. The course. So, you know, that the whole goal is to decenter, all of our norms, all of our like heteronormative, patriarchal, white-centered, you know, whatever the normative kind of like mainstream identity is, right? We're going to decenter it. And like, I can tell folks like, you know, that have been through it, what the, what the point is, like, cause after you've gone through it, and this is where the Miyagiing it, well, I'll clue the listeners in. So, okay. Um, so that this makes sense. A couple years ago, one of my melanated clients who went through Reclaim, which is like the sister to, you know, my courses for white and white passing folks around their own decolonization and, and anti-oppression work hated me. Like, well, like in that way that you like love, hate somebody that's making you do something hard. Okay. Right. So mm-hmm. like first couple of weeks, she's like, I hate, I just like, I hate you. And I'm like, that's cool. Like I'm, I'll take, I want, yes. Like that means that you're working through something like and you need it to go somewhere else, right? I don't, I, you need to direct it somewhere. It can be me, like, give it to me. 
I'll, I'll take it. Right. It's the same way that when I used to like teach boxing and like hit and strength and conditioning halfway through, like clients would be like, I hate you. And I'm like, I know, cool. Give it to me. Like, I'll take it. And she like, just was so frustrated for the first couple of weeks. And then very similarly, right. We got to week like seven and there was something from week two that clicked for her. And the whole time I kept saying, you just have to trust the process. You have to trust the process. You have to commit to yourself. And just like, even something as simple as what is your sexuality? Right. Like think about those things, right. For you, it's like, I never, no, no one's ever asked me that. I have never had to answer. And most likely because you're navigating the world and clearly you have, you know, you indicated a, a male husband, right. Partner. So it, right. For all intents and purposes, you navigate the world and people are like that is a heterosexual couple and they're just automatically going to default to the norm. So people aren't asking. And then people mostly don't ask unless there's quote unquote, something that signals because apparently sexuality has signals. Like that's a whole other conversation regardless. <laughs> Seven weeks in, she's like, and, and mind you, she is, she's a multiracial woman. So she's, you know, Asian, uh, one of her identities is Asian. And so she, uh, has always had a, like a deep love for the karate kid and was like, you are my Miyagi. Like I just got Miyagi'd. <laughs> like I thought that I was just sitting here like waxing on and off, waxing the car and painting the fence. And then a thing happened where something clicked from a couple of weeks before where she was so frustrated with me and the process and was like, oh shit, I've been learning how to like fight. Like I've been learning how to block and defend and strike. And I just got Miyagi'd. So I say that because now like that's the joke. I have to tell everyone from the beginning, I'm like, trust the process. You will be Miyagi'd. Like you will get Miyagi'd, Right. Because week one, you're like, why would I even answer? Like, that's a, of course, oh, you're just asking me my social identifiers. But like, am I though? Right. Like, is that what's happening? Right. Or are we, are like, to your point, like, or are we about to get deep? Like, are things about to happen? And it feels so innocuous and simple. But then, yeah, you like get in and you're like, oh shit, like my whole brain. It's like the mind brain blowing emoji, you know, yeah. <laughs> like the skull is like popped off. Yeah. And that's, that's the process. Yeah. And to the point where like, I can't turn on something and just watch some BS patriarchal Mm -hmm. movie anymore where I see it. And you know, the beautiful thing too, is I'm not like, I, I haven't known exactly what to say or how to say it. So I haven't been like cramming this down my husband's throat, but I have been turning over stones in front of him and having conversations and being like, yeah, we just watched splash from 1980. And did you see this? And did you see that? And he gets it now to the point where, you know, I talk about there being a spirit team that we have on the other side, your Mm -hmm. angels, guides, and loved ones. Mm -hmm. And yet you have to build your spirit team here like I include you as part of my spirit team like oh I'm so honored yes but I have I have these multiple people right and there's one person a male white male that I have worked with for over five years and I was telling him like I was with my husband one day we were all together and I was saying I am so excited like this was my reaction to seeing um the first female vice president and hearing her talk and here I'm like crying and I'm like this was a huge powerful moment for me mm-hmm. and he goes but I don't believe in her like I like my ethical stuff and he was talking about like her past with her relationships mm-hmm. and I was like you did not have to go there and yeah. so I started to come out and I started to speak about it and my husband 
I could tell on his face, he was like, why, why did you say what you said? Like you're about to hop into a conversation that you don't want to have. And then he goes, just calm down. (gasps) And I was like, no, (laughs) no, you fucking didn't. At some point, I feel like cis het men or anyone who is like hyper socialized into that version of masculinity has got to figure the fuck out that you have got to stop telling us to calm down. Like that is the most subtly passive aggressive tool of white male dominance or just male dominance in general. I'm like, every time I hear it, it it like it, and it always backfires on y'all. Like every time you say it, because we're not responding to the fact that you just said, calm down. We're responding to the fact that you just tried to erase us, ignore what we feel, silence us, like totally mansplain shit to us. Like it makes me fucking fruit loop. Like I can. I know. So two questions. Yes. One is, this is the, probably the easier one. I don't know if you've ever seen the Godfather movies. Of course. So funny joke, my, or funny aside, as a child, one of my nicknames was the Godfather because I've actually always had this like kind of rasp in my voice. Yeah. Imagine like four-year-old me, (laughs) but like, I still kind of like talk like this. So... I, for like, as a child, they called me the Godfather. Okay. So I'm actually super obsessed. Who was the brother in the Godfather who would get so enraged? He would just like, you know who I'm talking about? I always. Yes. This is that brain moment where I'm like, I can see it. I'm playing the movie out like in front of me. That has been my whole life. That was my mom. And that is something that I carried over where like. Somebody says something and it triggers you and just this vibrational frequency comes out from your spine into your body. And now you're shooting, like shooting fire darts from your eyes. And, you know, in the movie, this ends up getting him killed, this right rage within him, because. Yeah. So one is like, how do you manage that severe trigger? The second thing is. Like my husband, he, he has done some work because he came out of that and he goes, one, we don't have to have this conversation now, but are, we're questioning like whether or not this person is a part of our angel spirit team anymore, earth spirit team. His husband? I know. And he goes, two, I know that this is a trigger. And if you need to take the rest of the day off, you tell me what you need. And like, you go take care of you. And I am just gonna hold down the fort. And I was like, Wow. Like amazing. Hello, partnership. I know. I know. I know. I'm so blessed. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Y'all are doing good over there. Okay. So that's actually a really phenomenal question though, like the rage, because I will like full transparency. That's actually my, (laughs) that's, that used to be my status, status quo starting point. So I actually have an incredible Hulk, uh, like mini figurine on my keychain because as a child, they used to call me the Hulk because I'd be very calm. And like, you know, I like, I've always like loved books and people. So I'm like partially nerdy, partially social, but like, we'll talk to anyone. And so like sweet. And you know, I was that kid. Right. And I just want to play with puppies and people and like read in a corner, but like the second, well, it looked like to other people, right. The second that something happened zero to a hundred, I would literally go from like, you know, 
Banner to Hulk, like (laughs) just full rage. And unfortunately, the rage controls you. And so very much like when the Hulk goes back to being, you know, Banner, like he can't, he's like, wait, what happened? Like, I don't really, I'd be like, no, I didn't say those things. I didn't do those things. And then people are like, oh, yeah, (laughs) you did. And like, granted, like, I'm not like, you know, fighting people, but like, I'd be so angry. Like to your point, it's like, you can't even think clearly. It's just, and, and to, to be totally like clear to listeners, that is a hundred percent a trauma response. It is the, it is the fight trauma response because when, and when you move into a space of, of uh, true, like traumatic triggers or like re-traumatization, you're, you only experience one of four. And it is very much like the animalistic part of you. And the fight response is literally like your, you go into the most like authentic animal version of yourself and you feel like you're backed into a corner. And the only way out, the only way for survival is, is to fight it out. Right. And it doesn't necessarily always mean physical fight. Right. But it's like that, right. You like escalate into that level. And so for me, I like very much was that person. And so what it took, and this is why I always, like I say, like, this is why the healing is so important, especially in this work, because you're going to have people like that in your life or random strangers or whoever that say, well, just calm down or erase the fact that a woman, a black woman, right? A, an Asian woman, cause she's, you know, mixed or multiracial is a vice fucking president. Like, trust me, I'm from the Bay Area. Like, San Francisco, I, like, I can throw a stone at San Francisco. I'm in Oakland. So I'm very, very well aware and like very, you know what I mean? Like knowledgeable as to her her career and the decisions that she's made and 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 she should have made and and missteps and mistakes. And I'm very critical of that. And duality, y'all. Right. Like we have to hold space to be able to criticize that and honor the impact and what it means and and let people to your point. Right. Like let you be let you have the moment mm-hmm. like, fuck, can I just be like really impacted by this for a second and then we can critique our shit. Don't worry. Like we're going to keep putting the pressure on Harris and Biden. But damn, can we be excited? Right. Like, let me live. But you're going to have people like that. Every step of the way, just in general in life, but especially if you're doing this work, because it fundamentally rubs up against who they believe they are and their literal like life compass. And so what I realized was that first I had to do a lot of healing completely independent of this work. I had to heal all of the wounding, childhood wounds, right? Relationship wounds. And the reason I use attachment styles for the folks that aren't familiar is because attachment styles will literally tell you how mm, the synthesis of it is essentially like if loving relationships, relationships that should have meant like as a, right, like in your formative years, like were full of love and protection and should have been like your, your home, if they were fragmented in any sort of way, so on and so forth, that informs your attachment style. You have to heal all those things because you have to be able to be really whole and sound in yourself So that when you then hold beliefs, like (laughs) this crazy notion that, you know, cops should not be murdering black folks for no reason, or 
wow, we should, we can really be excited and, and floored to the point of tears that, you know, Kamala Harris is our VP or really upset that, you know, God rest her soul, Ruth Bader Ginsburg, you know, passed and was so impactful, but also wasn't always on the side of indigenous and melanated folks. And like, use, you know, the discovery doctrine against indigenous and melanated folks. Like we can hold all of those things and be really okay and grounded in them. So that when then people come from the outside and say things like calm down now, when like, when men tell me to calm down, my response to them is like, who hurt you? (laughs) And they're like, what? And I'm like, I'm just, I'm just trying to understand why me, myself holding Uh, a marginalized identity, right? Counter yours, having an opinion that is, you know, counter status quo or contrary to yours fundamentally rattles who you believe you are. Yeah. And they're like, uh, I mean, granted, typically if I'm like in social conversations, I don't say it like that quote unquote academically and socially, but that's essentially what I'm saying to them, right? Like, why are you like this? Why does me having an opinion bother you? Why is me being emotional bother you? How does that impact your life? Cause I'm good over here. I am, I am so rooted in who I am and grounded. I've come home to myself and because I've come home to myself, I can see what's happening, but I'm not going to react to it from either a trauma response or a place of emotional reactivity, because I know that this is a you thing and not a me thing. Mm -hmm. And when we haven't come home to ourselves, this is what happens, right? When we haven't really been able to fully come home to ourselves, the second that somebody says, well, you know, I don't really care that she's all, has all these identities and da 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 because she's done all these tor- terrible things, you're still going to be upset about it. But like now you're going to go talk to hubby and hubby's going to be like, girl, what do you need? Like, <laughs> are you good? What do you like? We can take care of this. Like, I want to make sure you're still allowed to be reactive. Obviously, you're going to be right. But it's a different kind of engagement right now. Hubs is like, OK, boo. What do we need to get you back to being like grounded and like have your vibration be really even versus before he might have been like, oh, God, we got to pull Julie off this man because she's just like leapt at him, you know, like (laughs) whatever the thing might be. So that's like a really long answer and might feel really convoluted. But I truly fundamentally believe that that's the thing, right? Like the TLDR is you have to get to a place where you understand that this is about the person saying or doing the thing and not about you. And you can't actually do that until you get to, you have embarked on a healing and dismantling and decolonial journey to where you have divested from yourself and your identity and your wholeness and humanness being attached to people's reactions to it. 100%. Yeah. Yeah, that's so beautiful. (laughs) I I wish people could see your face. (laughs) Because that was so genuine. It was like, that was amazing. (laughs) Maybe I could put this up like the the Zoom part on uh, the Facebook. Oh, go ahead. Because I look really cute today. (laughs) Adorable. Adorable. So I don't remember if this was your analogy or Brittany Packnets that oh yeah Brittany's what was it I'll tell you (laughs) I mean I'm just such a visual person and I wanted to like have you on the podcast because you can explain this so much better than I can but she talks about the difference between ally accomplice and co-conspiratorship in the way of like 
you're running on a treadmill and like if it is oppression there are white people or people in general who are running towards oppression and then there are people who like stop and kind of question this right and like is this the right way to go? And maybe they're walking in the direction of oppression, but they're not running anymore. And then there's people like, I am not saying this the right way, but then there's people who like stop and turn around and who are like, this isn't going the right way. Like there's a lot of negativity here. There's a lot going wrong with this system, but they're not moving in the opposite direction. They're just kind of paused. And then there are people who are like, nope, we've got to fix this. We've got to change this. We need to listen and center Black people and listen to what their agenda is and uphold them and then grab people and start moving them in the opposite direction. And was that one yours? No, that, so that actually, Brittany, that is Brittany's and it came out of the, have you seen the the Equity Center did, actually, I think I, this is a video that I put in the crash course, the Equity Center video. We're like, they're running and then there's, yeah. Okay. So it's, okay. Yeah. So she, you probably, your brain probably just like (laughs) blended them together. Cause I've used the video and like, she had previously like used that as a springboard to like use this analogy. Okay. Perfect. It's just such like a beautiful analogy. So, so explain to people the difference between ally accomplice and co-conspiratorship, because you hear a lot of people saying that they want to be an ally, but ally is really just the first step. Yeah. So I actually, so, okay. So ally, the goal is accomplishment. An allyship is very much just the performance. So the way that I like to explain it to people is, you know, it's the people that have the, it used to be Obama, right? But now it's like Biden-Harris. They have the bumper sticker. They have the sign in their lawn. They have the Black Lives Matter sign in their window. They go to work and they like say hi to all the Black folks. They're at the protest. They make sure they're posting all the things on social media. They posted the Black Square. But that's it. That's literally the extent. It is the performance. That's all they're doing Mm -hmm. because it's still about them. They're making sure they're signaling to the rest of the world. No, no, no. I'm not a racist. Now, those are the people that are not running towards oppression, but they're just standing still. They are either complacent because they don't know any better Right. They literally think like, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I just have to like post the things and like go to the protest and everything will change. It's fine. Like I'm doing my part. So they like genuinely maybe haven't been exposed to a me or a, or a Brittany or a whoever or like folks like you who might be in community with them who are like, no, 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 no. Like that's nice. So glad you just woke up. But like, come on over. Right. Like we're walking in the other direction now. Like you can't just sit on the floor. That's not how you want to race. Though, so it's either that or. It's the folks who, and these are actually, you see them a lot in in California, in the Bay Area specifically. I always tell people like, California is real Texas-ish. Like we have, yeah, it'll make sense in a second. I know people, yeah, 100%. Go look at the population, go like anyone that's listening, go look at just California and look at the full breakdown of who voted red versus blue across the board, not just presidential across the board and outside of the Bay area and certain pockets of Southern California, 
And like by pockets, I mean literally like LA and and you know outside of that, it's red. Mm-hmm. It's just that there are so many of us in the Bay Area and so many in LA. We're so densely populated that that's why we always as a as a state vote blue. But we're real, I call us Texas adjacent. Like we're, we're not that different because whiteness is everywhere. But anyways, but there, these folks are, are particularly, I call them like the, the Baydestrians because <laughs> I'm in the Bay Area. Um, there are folks who are posting all the things and they're making sure that everything looks really nice. They're signaling the perception of equity because they know that it suits them. It fits their bottom line, whether it's because they're in tech, they're in business, right? And they want to make sure that it that that people are still spending money with them or coming to work for them. Or they live in in Oakland, right? Or they live in areas that are that are very much a quote unquote melting pot. And they're like, God, my neighbors would literally turn on me if they knew. Yeah. Right. They're the ones who say things like, It's not that I have, you know, a problem with black folks. I just wouldn't want to live next to them. Well, why? Right. But like then if you really push the why, they're like, well, yeah, because you actually uphold and believe all these white, you know, stereotypes are like, oh, I don't have any problem with black folks at all. I just don't want them dating my daughter. Right. And they're not going to say that I just don't want them dating my daughter unless they think that they're with a bunch of other pedestrians or folks that are are like-minded. So they're posting the things on the internet and they're, you know, they got the signs in the, on the front lawn and the t-shirts and the whatever, but inside they're still clutching their pearls red and, and voting Trump. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right? And then we'll say things like, I'm not voting for Trump because I agree with any of, you know, his beliefs, I'm voting for him because it's, you know, I really appreciate his tax plan. (laughs) Right. Like, Oh, for financial reasons. Uh, what? No, that's not how that works. Right. So that those are, those are allies. And that's why they're so dangerous because regardless of whether it's, you know, you don't know any better and, or you, you, you don't actually think that, you know, like, Oh, I just don't want them dating my daughter is a problem. You're signaling the perception of equity. So folks think you're safe, but you have not done any of the work. There's no action. So there's no integrity to what you do. And you're not actionably pushing the needle of equity forward. You're not actionably using your identity privilege to ensure that, you know, you're adding some lighter fluid to the fire. That is the attempt to burn down this existing system. Mm -hmm. So you're sitting on the ground. But the reality is, and and I actually want to kind of like, you know, I speak in analogies. So I'm going to like push Brittany's analogy a little bit further. The way that I actually look at it is instead of a race is a, a tug of war, except with this tug of war, everyone has a harness attached to their body. And there's one center point. There's like a pin in the ground. And so you have some folks, right? Everyone's attached to this pin. Some folks are running towards oppression. Some folks are running away from it. Allies are sitting dead set in the center. They're like, I mean, I'm not doing anything to make it worse, or I don't think I am, right? 
and I'm not doing anything to make it better, but I, but, but I, I kind of like the way things are. So like, I'm just going to be right here. It's really nice here. So I'm just going to sit here. But ultimately what you're doing is not only are you right. You're not making a change in either direction. You're actually making it harder for anyone who is running away from oppression because we are all interlinked. We are, none of us are running this individually, right? These are, we are collectives. We are a society. So if one person takes a seat, you're making it really hard for those that are running to, to get any sort of traction because now you're weight, right? So then you have co-conspirators. Now, co-conspirators are the most dangerous, and the reason that I know, I know, just wait, co-conspirators are so dangerous because they are actionable, right? So these are your white saviors. These are your missionaries to Africa. These are your, you know, executive directors of nonprofits. These are your teach for America teachers. These are any of the folks that are like, no, 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 look, I'm doing all the things. This is surge. Everyone knows I have a huge problem with surge. These are any of these organizations or individuals that are like, look, 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 I'm doing all the things. I'm helping the melanated folks, right? But fundamentally, they're still upholding white supremacy because they are either doing it for gold stars, they're doing it specifically because they're driven by white shame or white guilt or their fragility. So it's again, it's still not about those that are impacted by by oppression, it's still about them. They're a white savior. And the, the one thing they all have in common, and this is why they're not accomplices, right? This is why they're stuck in the in-between, is that they all still fundamentally center selves in whiteness. Because there are so many nonprofits, organizations, individuals, missionary trips, or missionary collectives, that are going into other places that are going into other communities that they are not a part of. And they're like, yeah, yeah, yeah. We're totally going to help you, but we're actually not going to have a conversation with you. And we're not going to ask you what you need. We're not going to ask you how you've been doing it. We're going to do it how we want to do it, how we think is best, <laughs> even though we have zero lived experience and zero understanding of the problems that you actually face. And this is why it's dangerous because they're, now placing themselves at the you know point of impact, so to speak, but not actually asking those closest to the pain what they need, how they need it, and they fundamentally end up creating really, really toxic codependent relationships, right? Being uh, amongst whiteness or between whiteness and melanated or marginalized populations, because. For this melanated population to be able to, quote unquote, progress, right, or, or get any of the benefit from any of the things that white folks co-conspirators are bringing to them, co-conspirators must always be present, which means you've created a dependency now on yourself. So all you've done is replicate whiteness. Mm. Yeah. And that's a massive problem. Right. That's the difference. That's the like teach a what's the saying? Teach a man to fish versus like give him a fish. Yep. Right. Co-conspiratorship is like you're gonna eat abundantly <laughs> so long as I'm physically present, so long as you depend on me. Yeah. Right. That is really toxic. Yeah. Yeah, I'll give you all the things. 
you'll have clean water, you'll have protection, you'll have food. I, we got you. I'm going to come save you. And this is why it's white saviorism, because white saviorism is predicated on the belief that those that are melanated or marginalized in any kind of way cannot do for themselves. Mm -hmm. They need those that have mainstream identities to come in, swoop in, save them, because those co-conspirators truly believe, right? White saviors truly believe, well, you poor black and brown communities, you can't help yourself. You need me. You're completely incapable. As a as a former like nonprofit, like part of that community and like working yeah. my way towards the executive director position, like I totally resonate with that. I totally got it. But just like some people think, well, like I'm the good person, like I'm a good girl, like I couldn't be racist. I don't have a racist bone in my body. I think those people would tell you, like, but I but we're just helping, like we're the good person, yeah. we're doing they, good. Yeah. But they really like have drink in the Kool-Aid and believe their own thing. They're, they're like, I want to help, but it's my agenda. It's my way. It's all about mm-hmm. me. And mm-hmm. it took me a while to get what centering black folks really means. The center is no longer, it's not about me. It's yeah. about you. And it's yeah. about just listening and just mm-hmm. like hearing like, okay, Wheeze, like, what's the agenda here? Like you set the agenda and like, what can I do to support you? And what can I do to be there? And what can I do to like lift you up? And on those days where it's really like a shit day, like, what do you need from me? Like I am there for you 110%. Yeah. I think that's super, super important uh, because, and this is the difference between an accomplice and a co-conspirator, right? And we'll talk about this a little bit more in, in a second when we get to that step, but What folks don't realize is that marginalized communities have been trying to save themselves forever, forever, whether it's sustainable water, whether it's, you know, reimagining public safety, whatever the thing is in some places, like basic access to medical care, right? Like whatever the thing is, marginalized communities have been trying to do for themselves forever. But because of the way the system is built, there's a limit on resource and and accessibility. And so if you have identity privilege, you have an access to resources and accessibility, whatever those resources are, whatever access is needed to. And so a co-conspirator is like, okay, I'm going to bring these things with you, but I'm still the gatekeeper versus an accomplice does exactly that. An accomplice says, Oh, oh, let me take a step back. A co-conspirator also says, oh, I see that you've been like organizing for like 150 years, but I have a really good idea. So I'm going to use all my resources and my ideas and my accessibility. And I'm going to start a brand new nonprofit like yesterday. And I'm not going to ask any of you what you want or what you need or how you've been doing it or what's worked or hasn't worked because you probably have 150 plus years of data to to go off of. But I'm going to do this and then I'm going to come in and I'm going to tell you you're welcome. And I'm also going to tell you that you can join me. Okay, cool. Great. That's what a co-conspirator does. An accomplice says, there's a problem here. There's a problem that doesn't impact me. Because it doesn't impact me, I am uniquely positioned to be able to provide resources and accessibility to whatever the thing is, right? I am also going to be afforded a certain level of credibility and safety because I don't hold that marginalized identity. I'm going to be given the benefit of the doubt because I don't hold that marginalized identity. And then I'm going to come in and I'm going to say, hey, I see that you've been doing this for 150 years. I cannot begin 
to imagine the ways in which this impacts your day-to-day life. But it is not lost on me that this is a massive, massive, massive atrocity. This fundamentally goes against civil liberties and human rights. And I would like to help and support y'all in XYZ, whatever the thing is that that particular organization or population might be fighting for. And because I'm new to this and because I don't have this lived experience, but because I have access, resources, safety, benefit of the doubt, credibility, simply because of my identity, simply because I was born with the identities that I have, and then maybe more depending on how I've lived my life and you know wealth and whatever, all those other things. I'm going to come in and I'm going to say exactly that. What do you need? How can I support you? What do you need me to do here? I'm going to be sitting in the corner doing my work. If you need anything, holler at me. Mm -hmm. I'm here to join y'all. I'm here to support you. And those folks, those are the folks that are running towards anti-oppression. Those are the folks that are also going to go back and grab the accomplices who are sitting on the floor, right? At the center of that point, right? The stake that's in the ground and say, uh, excuse me. Hi. Yeah. What are you doing? You're making this really hard for the rest of us. And, and I'm not going to explain to you what's over here and I'm not going to teach you how to get here, but I need you to understand that we need to get here. And once you've committed to like joining us in, in running in the opposite direction, then I'm going to go and I'm going to say, Hey, yo, folks that I'm supporting, would one of y'all be willing to come back with me and, and explain to these, these people why we need to be moving in this particular direction, right? That's the role of an accomplice. That's, that's literally it. I also, for anyone listening, if you're like still trying to kind of wrap your head around this, my, all the world's estate. Well, yeah, take, take my course to understand how you can go from sitting on the floor to like running, you know, running the race in in running the opposite direction. Yes. Of course. And we'll get into all that at the end too. And we'll have this below. Oh, perfect. Great. Well, as you say, they can also check out the, all the world's a stage video that's on Instagram. Perfect. It's in the highlights of my IG. Um, and that like really breaks it down because I am a theater nerd and I use my whole like Shakespeare example. <laughs> but that's that's truly the difference, right? And this is why when people are like, oh, I'm an ally, I'm like, ooh, no, no, like, no, thank you, right? This is also why unfor- the unfortunate reality is that folks who have marginalized identity are going to be inherently distrustful of folks who have mainstream identities counter, right, their marginalized identities. Because co-conspirators and allies are all signaling equity, but all of them are harmful in different ways. Mm -hmm. So until you get actionable, right? It's like show and prove. Until we can see via action and commitment that you are truly an accomplice, like, well, cool. I'm not going to like, I mean, I don't even hate racists, honestly, because that impacts me and not them. They're living their life. Like, go be miserable somewhere else. Just don't talk to me. But like, I don't, I don't have beef with you. But like, you're not, I'm not going to be kicking it up with you. I'm not coming on your podcast. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, because I don't know where you stand yet. And I have to be inherently distrustful of you in order to keep myself safe. Yeah. Yeah. A hundred percent. A hundred percent. I'm wondering if you, I know you've been doing a lot of talking. You got, you got to take a break and, and get some water. 
I'm wondering where, because a lot of this for me too has been, okay, well, I don't have a lot of Black friends. I don't have a lot of Black people that I know who are healers within the spiritual community, not because there aren't any, but because I haven't taken the time to invest in getting to know other Black healers. Mm-hmm. And I don't know if you can speak to this at all, or if you can kind of give me some direction on like how to go about this, but Because we've said too in like the group sessions in the class, like, ew, gross, just trying to be a black person's friend to have more black friends. Like, we don't do that. Yeah. (laughs) A lot of like spirituality within spirituality and religion, there's a ton of bypassing, there's a ton of racism within it. Yep. I have begun to see different things, um, some within the wording, some within the language that we've talked about here on the podcast. There's other things like this whole notion. It took me a long time to get through this on the podcast, but being peaceful doesn't mean no action. It doesn't mean just go meditate, like spread love and light. The spiritual thing to do is to stand up and take action Mm -hmm. to address what's happening because the fact of the matter is that Black people are not safe. They're not equal participants. They're not prospering equally in the country they built. Yeah. From like your perspective, and you know kind of a little bit of where I'm at, Mm how can I grow this more of like building an inclusive and I've got my commitments here. If you want me to read those, because I've got the different ways that I'm like committed to growing, but how can, because it's not going to change. Like I'm not going to be 100% different and I'm not going to know all the things, but if I sit down in the middle and I'm that dead weight and I don't talk, then I'm also not working through my own vibrations of like Mm -hmm. growing. So I have to keep talking. I have to keep making mistakes. I have to keep moving forward. And when I do harm, restore that harm, but like keep going forward I don't know. Like, I know this is like the hugest topic, like spirituality, religion, and racism. Yeah. I mean, first of all, they're all very deeply interconnected. Um, Religion and spirituality were actually very intentionally used and weaponized against melanated folks, specifically Black folks, specifically to justify both colonization, um, the discovery doctrine, and slavery, and mm, the enslavement of, of folks. And it's funny that you say, you bring this up, I, and I'm happy to talk to you about it here, but I actually don't talk about my spirituality publicly for exactly that reason, because white spiritual communities and white spiritual leaders and white spiritual healers, if they have not very intentionally decentered whiteness in themselves and in their practices and decolonize the way in which they engage with the teachings, then they are so deeply harmful. And this is one of those, like when we talk about like, how do you, how do you not like Hulk out for me? I've realized like there is no level of healing in me that will get me to a point of not cussing Uh, like a white healer out when they like talk to me about my, you know, like my spirituality. Yeah. Cause it's so like, it's so like close and you know what I mean? Like deep and it's so deeply personal. 
Sure. I'm like a super spiritual person. I believe in vibrations and frequencies. Um, I have a really, really deep connection to my ancestral lineage. I am both an empath and something that I talk about from time to time. The women in my tribe uh, and specifically in my lineage, both on my mother's and father's sides, mother... I only have one mom and dad. My mother and father's side are empaths, soothsayers, you know, healers, uh, mediums, so on and so forth. And so like, I'll mention it here and there, but I do not talk to white folks about it because, or like publicly rather, like on IG, because white folks are the one time I did when I was like, your love, exactly that your love and light doesn't mean that you get to do nothing. Like I'm so full in love and light that I will use that love and light to magnify the shit out of the sun and burn this whole bitch down. And they like came for me. And I was like, I'm the most peaceful person ever. Like the love and light community, spiritual community. I like, I got shadow banned after that because they came for me, like report, report, report. Like it was that bad. So I say all of that to say the only way that this, that we can even begin to start looking at how we heal and shift the spiritual community is for every single gatekeeper to any sort of spiritual practice, you know, leadership in spiritual communities, spiritual teachers of any, like whatever your modality is, whatever your belief system is, makes a commitment to decolonization, to decentering whiteness, and to anti-oppression first and foremost within themselves. They have to heal their relationships to whiteness and they have to divest from the idea that they as a human being are inextricably linked and synonymous with whiteness. Because white folks, there's a difference between people who happen to be white and white people. White people are, you know, the folks who are either holding the tiki torches or being complacent sitting on the ground, right? Like you're either actionably or complacently racist because you're not in explicitly anti-racist. And then there's people who happen to be white, like a you, Julie, who's like, yes, I am phenotypically white. Racially, I am white, but I like fundamentally reject whiteness and I'm running towards the direction of anti-oppression. I'm going to fall. I'm going to stumble. I might cut my knee along the way. It's fine. There's doctors over there. They'll fix me up and keep, I'll keep it going. Right? But you have to go through that work and you have to make the commitments to become that version of yourself, right? Like take it back to the very first question you asked me. And they have to make that commitment first and foremost. Next, actually entering into communities with folks, melanated folks and black folks, black women and femmes specifically that are doing healing work, ancestral work and spiritual work. My last episode of um, According to Weeze, I had pastor, right? Full pastor, LaVon Proverbs Briggs on. I mean, that's my boo. Like where I like really in community, like she's, Every time she opens her mouth on Instagram, I'm always just like, yes, yes, yes. Like she's amazing. She teaches so much for free. Oh, I just, I can't say enough good things about her. Everyone should go listen to that episode. But entering into communities with folks like that, who, who do this work, who are leading their own congregations and you, you know, however you view congregation, right? Like I'm just using that word because that's how that's, she calls her anyone that like is in this work with her congregation. And really like listen to them, follow them, build relationships with them, support them, invest in them, take their courses. Because it's one thing to start your work with, with like a me, right? With someone like me that says, we're going to turn this whole shit inside out. 
And then, right, for like you, Julie, who's like, okay, now this is my lane. Spirituality, we're just going to call it the umbrella of spirituality. This is my lane. Now I have to specialize. I always say, I'm, I'm like getting your BA. Yeah. And then you have to go get your master's. I love that. Right. And so find that person, find, find the school of, right. Like in this case, like, obviously I'm saying the school of, of a pastor, LeVon Proverbs Briggs, find, go to the school of Briggs. That's your master's go specialize. Right. Or if like for, for my doctor people out there, right. Like you go to med school and then you specialize yeah. when you're going through your, your residency. Like that's what it is. Like I'm your first couple years. I'm the foundation. I'm the thing that you can always lean on. But this work is, and this is why we say the work is never done. Mm-hmm. It's continuous and it's ongoing. So get your foundation and then go look at what you're going to specialize in. I love that. That's so amazing. And then go on to get your doctorate. Yes. And then get another. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's amazing. I love your analogies. And can I tell you too, like when you were in class one day and you were like the whole board behind me, my whole wall is a whiteboard. And I'm like, why didn't I think of this? Like, this is the most, I have to tell you, I lived um, because I was Okay, as a white person, before yes. meeting you, I was like, <laughs> yes. I have a special pass. Let me show you my white card special pass. Didn't think of it as a white card special pass. But literally, when I met my father-in-law, my, my husband's like, he's got a special pass. Like, he just does whatever he wants to do. He is Becky in the store who goes up mm. and like, mm-hmm. and like, uh, I have this one memory of my sister and I driving home from Florida when I'm in college and like there's miles after miles after miles of traffic. And I'm like, well, there's nobody here in the left lane. So I'm just going to get the left lane cut off five miles of traffic. (laughs) And I'm like, Oh, so my, my college friend would always be like, it's that guy, like that guy. I'm like, Oh, that means you're an asshole. Like, Oh, okay. I get it. You know? Yeah. (laughs) Uh, but I don't know why I told that story. No, I love it. (laughs) (laughs) I have to say as an aside, I've done that once. It was because there was a lot of traffic. I was on my way to see Beyonce and there was an accident from where I was coming from and I could only get tickets like an hour and 15 minutes away from where I lived. And so we had to leave like hella early. And then there was traffic on the way, not concert traffic because nobody would be driving like well, some people were, but I, it was for Beyonce. So I feel like that is why, but I had the same thing, but I didn't, wasn't even in a lane. My ass went full off-roading on the shoulder of the freeway <laughs> and like, mind you drove like just anyway. So I say that to say there are some moments. Okay. okay. Being late for Beyonce <laughs> in which that is totally justified. Well, let me tell you, I gave up my special pass. I no longer have that special pass. Okay. Okay. <laughs> But uh, I was such a dick in, and I don't know if I can even use that. I don't know if that's like reverse. uh, It's funny you say that. This is a conversation that I'm having literally right now with all of my, like the folks that I'm in community with that do any sort of education from like sex education to gender, to all the things of like deconstructing language around using anatomical body parts to mean things, right? Like you're a pussy, you're a dick, what an asshole. So the jury's still out. Obviously pussy is like a really clear one, unless you're going to mean it to mean like really strong, really dope. Like I call people uh, a cunt sometimes, but like (laughs) 
not in the way that like the Brit- the British use it. I'm like, yeah, like I'm just like, I've reclaimed a lot of words that one, make people really uncomfortable and two, normally mean like bad things. However, I will say the ones that belong to like the male body, I'm still even in myself decolonizing because I'll be like, God, you're such a dick. And I'm like, but their dicks are really beautiful things and can be used for like wonderful experiences. So like, should we really be... <laughs> Anyways, total aside, but let yeah. it come your point. <laughs> so I was that guy in college who could not have roommates because I didn't clean up after myself. And I always had dishes and expected my roommates to do my dishes because my mom always did my dishes. And so I ended up living in the dorms my junior and senior year as an RA. And okay. So here I am, senior year of college, writing this thesis for my history degree and literally head to toe, the entire wall is covered with all of my pages for this. And I'm like, oh, I love weed um, because you have this like wall that you can just yeah. write on. It's amazing. I call it my beautiful mind wall. Yeah. Yeah. It's literally what it's called. And for anyone that wants to know how to create it, it's actually really easy. I went on, well- Amazon adjacent, but like, so this is what I do when I want to like decenter Amazon. I went on Amazon. I searched literally like adhesive whiteboards. And then I like, will go to the companies that sell it and see if they have a website. So then like went to that website and just ordered like a bunch of like 11 by eight. And like, cause they don't make them like super, super big. So I bought a whole bunch of tiles and just like literally fashioned them onto my wall until it was like made sense. And so then, yeah, I like just write on my walls. Ingenious. Love it. That means a genius, right? Ingenious. Now I have to question all my words. Brilliant. Yes. Yes. Brilliant. Speaking of words, here's one question that I do have for you. When you get your Reiki energy healing certification or any energy healing certification, they call you a Reiki master teacher. Yes. This work's got to, this word has got to go, right? Uh, Okay. So this is actually a very controversial point because yes and no. So for example, master bedroom, 1000% needs to go because it specifically was the master's bedroom, right? Like being within the, you know, plantation, within a plantation home. So a master of an enslaved people. So now you'll see it's called like the primary bedroom, you know, main bedroom, uh, the bedroom suite. You'll, you'll see a lot of languaging in real estate that's changed. Now, that being said, to master something is to achieve a level of excellence, Now, if you are a master teacher, you are not a master to someone. You have reached a level of teaching, right, that denotes excellence. And so I think that's one of those words, like for me, other people might have other beliefs, but I'm a huge etymology nerd. Like I love language. Specifically also the English language fascinates me because English is my third language and it was very hard for me to learn, like wrap my head around because there's no fucking rules in the the English language. It's actually very hard to learn, which I always, as an aside, think is really, really entertaining when white nationalists are like, 
learn to speak English. It's so easy. I don't know why they sound like that, but (laughs) that's the response. And I'm like, actually, English is really, really difficult. So anybody who speaks any other language that has actual, oh, I don't know, grammatical rules, like I before E except after C isn't a real rule English. You know what I mean? Anyways, so... So words really fascinate me. The the history of the word is really important. The root of the word is really important. And then as a sociologist, the context and the birth of the f- of phrases, right? So we have to look at all the things together. So yes, master bedroom, gotta go. A Reiki master, right? Because you are denoting a certain level of achievement. That to me does not signal problematic because it right? It's being used differently. Okay. And this is why people have to go through their own like liberation decolonial practice. And it's okay to like, right? Like depending on where you're at in your journey, you're going to always have questions. I have mentors. I have educators. I have questions, right? Like I didn't get here by myself and I don't keep moving through my process without my OGs. Like, duh. But the, to even be able to like pose that question of like, huh, I ne- wouldn't have noticed this before. I would have even thought of this before. Now I'm thinking about this. Let me look at this. And then master is a perfect word to like look to be like, okay, now do I have a mentor or an educator that I'm in community with that I can learn from? Because this is one that's not clear cut, right? Versus there are certain phrases like rule of thumb. Yeah. There are like what are there, there are so many, so many phrases. Sitting Indian style or an Indian giver. Right. Right. Like granted, when you're growing up in the 80s, like it was the 80s and nobody was conscious or sociopolitically conscious. Like, shit, they're still just now changing the Redskins name, you know, like sports teams names. But like sitting down and at least thinking about those things. And then when you're like when you hear a phrase, like asking yourself, like, huh. Let me now go do my own research because I have my own equity lens and discernment. Right. One that this is a total aside, but I feel like every time I get the chance, I need to say this. Uh, Calling a spade a spade, everyone thinks is a really uh, racist term because that used to be a slur for black folks. Again, you people have to do their own research. NPR did a phenomenal piece on specifically that phrase. That phrase actually comes out of old farming culture in the UK right? Because you have a hoe, you have a spade, you have different tools. And so it was a phrase and saying that came out of that. But but because so many people today in 2020 are accomplices or co-conspirators and they want to create the perception of wokeness, anytime something even looks like it could be a thing, they're like, oh my God, we can't say it. We can't do that. And then they like play the woke Olympics and then they come for other people. Like, But again, if you are an accomplice, you would pause and you would actually do, right? You would do your research and you would make sure that you know what you're talking about and you would have an educator that could guide you, so on and so forth. Yeah, 100%. So one of the things, like where I was six months ago, you know, when George Floyd passed and I started seeing all this was like, but I don't get the language, right? And like, I don't Mm, get terminology. And Prepping for this interview today was just so amazing because I was like, yes, I get that. Like I get what centering means and I get this and I get this. And so I just want to say to anybody listening, like I understand what it's like to be at that point where you're like, I don't get it. I don't understand, but you have to push through that fear within you and you have to 
keep going and you have to be willing to say where you were wrong before and like just speak it. The best thing for me in your courses was like, I would get stuck on my own past and like different things that would come up. And if I didn't speak it and like say it in group, I couldn't move forward. Like Mm -hmm. in the next week I was stuck still. And so like, you have to speak it, you have to say it, you have to verbalize it in order to work through your own stuff. Talk to people about what the courses are that you have coming up in 2020 and like how they can dive in. Yeah. So Actually, and I've never done this before, but I have made additional changes so that I can, one, to increase accessibility and to, you know, to, because different people need different things, right? So in 2021, my God, 2021 is like tomorrow. 2020. Yeah, I know what you said, but or I know what you meant, which is why I just realized I was like, oh shit. Okay. <laughs> so I have my three like signature courses. Um, which are the crash course. So the crash course is uh, when we did it over the summer, we did it as an intensive 12 weeks, which is fine, but we had to because of all the things that were happening in the world and timing. Typically, instead of the three months, I expanded over four months. There's like, it's, I do it in small sprints. So it's like three weeks of content, one week to just like process and digest. We didn't have that luxury in 2020. (laughs) Um, the luxury of, of digesting, uh, which really should, should just be a standard, but it wasn't there anyways. So the crash course is really for anyone who's kind of at that, that same point of like, I'm either, I'm just starting out or for folks who are like, I get all the language and I know all the things, but I have yet to go through a truly transformational human process to become the version of myself that I need to be to authentically step into accompliceship in a way that feels fully integrated, in a way that feels like it's an authentic fabric of the way that I currently live my life. Mm-hmm. So, and I say it like that because folks hear crash course and they're like, oh, it's like the beginning point. And I'm like, no, there were folks like in when you took it that have been in this work that have been activists and organizers in some way, shape, or form for like 10 years. But to your point, they had never been thrown into a situation where they had to also then go, you know, 30 years of therapy in 12 weeks while at, through the lens and intersection and view of anti-oppression, anti-racism, liberatory work. Mm-hmm. So the crash course is for anyone at any point in their journey, white, white passing, non-black folks of color, non-black male folks. That start, everything starts in January, mid-January. So that's the crash course. Dismantle is the crash course expanded. So that's what you took. Okay. So, and the only reason I named it two different things last year is because I already had dismantle running and I didn't want to be like dismantle one, dismantle two. So I was like, (laughs) I'm just going to call it something slightly different, but dismantle is the same foundational work as the crash course. Plus then, you know, and you already named it really looking at how whiteness and patriarchy intersect within white uh, folks who have been socialized female. Mm-hmm. And that's a really important point of languaging that I don't want people to miss. This is not just for white women. This is for anyone who's been socialized female because as a sociologist and as someone who studies human behavior and, and is, ugh, I hate the word coach, I prefer guide, um, guide and takes people through a transformational process. We're looking at how you were socialized to engage with the world from whichever lens. So if you were socialized female, regardless of how you identify now, 
mm-hmm. right? So non-binary, gender non-conforming, trans, queer, however you identify, you're welcome in my spaces. I'm thinking about you, right? Like I maintain your safety, all of those other things. But so it's for white or white passing folks who've been socialized female, because we're really looking at those things. We're looking at not only, you know, your anti-racism, anti-oppression journey, but we're looking at how whiteness and the socialization of the feminine identity has actually been utilized not only as a tool to oppress you, but also a tool to uphold and and continue to serve whiteness. Mm-hmm. There's a very particular space that folks socialized female who also hold white identity have been placed in. And then folks who identify as queer, gender nonconforming, trans, Obviously, and I said, just have to say this explicitly, obviously now their experience is very different because they have, right, an additional layer of of oppression and they occupy a very different space. But again, the way that we've internalized whiteness, it's about how we were taught to internalize whiteness in our formative years that we're really looking at, right? That starts in January. And then I have Reclaim, which is specifically a decolonial program for melanated folks, socialized female. And we're looking at the intersections of race, gender, socialization, the ways in which, you know, you've been taught to literally just absorb the waters of white supremacy, increase your proximity to whiteness for safety, security, and all of these other things. So I don't call it reclaim lightly. It's very much a process of reclamation, a full reclamation of you know, all of your identities and most importantly, your melanation from a point of pride that centers your melanated experience and your melanated identity in a way that is so liberatory that you then have no option but to go live your best life. Mm -hmm. Right. Yeah. And all three of those also, obviously, like I call it the little door, the Explorer backpack, you know, you fill it with all of the tools that you need both for yourself as well as society to be able to navigate the world safely and mindfully, not only for yourself, but for others. So those three are all starting in January. Obviously, I have the the dismantle mastermind for the alumni. Because to your point, you like go through the beginning crash course, and then you come out and you're like, oh my God, <laughs> like what is life? My business and my personal life and my personal relationships and my business relationships. And like, now everything has to change. I have to look at my business and I have to look at this and I have to look at languaging and I have to look at my offers and I have to look at like how I, who I have as my spirit guides in this realm and, and on the, you know, in, on this plane and holy shit, I've seen all the things I can't unsee it. My equity lens is on and what do I do? Yeah. So for any of our, our crash, anyone that's taking crash course, crash course extended or dismantle that is listening, that's for y'all. And then last but not least, which I is not open for enrollment yet, I'm going to actually be doing a decolonizing business course over the summer because not that it's lost on me, just I didn't have capacity previously to be able to teach folks to decolonize their business mm-hmm. in the ways that I have. Yeah. That really decenter whiteness, that center marginalized identities, that allow for rest as well as success, however you define success, that allow for pleasure and, you know, profit, that allow for joy and, you know, achievement, whatever those achievements are for you. Um, We need structure, right? You can't have chaos because otherwise businesses don't run well. You need operational structure, but that's really all you need. And then you get to determine everything else as you see fit. So really decolonizing business. So for anyone that's interested in that, you just got to follow me or join the mailing list and you'll hear about it when we launch it. But for now, that's all I'm doing in 2021. 
that well, I, oh my God, I don't know how you manage all this. So one of the things that I was thinking about is like, I have a team, but I have contractors, right? I don't have employees. And like, would that summer course be something good for my contractors to take? Because they're the ones interacting with my, my team, like my community all of the time. And that was something that was really on my mind. Like, which of these courses would be best for them to like go through to understand Yeah. So I will say that the decolonizing business is, so anybody can take it that is either a business owner, um, a sole proprietor, a contractor, uh, you know, down to like, if you have your own like therapy practice. So if you are interfacing with anybody, if you have clients in any kind of way, in literally in any kind of way, if you are providing services to people and also, and, or running a business, then yes, this course is for you because we're not just looking at how do I engage with people? We're literally looking at things down to like, my team doesn't work on Fridays. Well, you know how it is when you run your own business. Like that's, you work when you need to work, but our quote unquote team leaves hours Monday through Thursday, yeah, 9am to 6pm PST. And we literally have an email responder that goes out. When people email me, it says, thanks so much, or like the team email, thanks so much for your email address. Team Lee's responds from this time to this time, this day to this day. If you get us after this period, you'll hear from us here. We also ask 48 for a 48 hour, like, you know, uh, or we set a standard of 48 hours to respond to emails. These are our expectations. And I do that because what I'm not going to allow is for anyone else to engage with my team in a way that it puts pressure on them, in a way that dishonors them, in a way that doesn't allow them to like be a full human when they're working for me. When they message me on Fridays, my response to them is, did you forget what day it is? <laughs> That's awesome. That's awesome. And they're like, no, what do you mean? Like I have, and I have contractors and employees. Like, so I have a, a mix of the two, right? but they're all team Lee's. And they're like, no, I like, I'm working on a project. And like, I was so excited about it. And I'm like, it's still Friday. So if I need you to unplug. Yeah. And they're like, but, but, and, and so this is the wild thing about it. When you truly create a business infrastructure that honors you and honors the humanity of your team and honors rest and joy and pleasure and all of these other things, you actually end up like the productive, my team's productivity is through the roof, even just Monday through Thursday. And then they actually really enjoy, they love what they did. Like this is not me speaking. This is literally them. Sometimes they make me cry. They're like, they love working for team leads and being a part of the team so much that like, it doesn't feel like work for them. So they're like, literally like, oh, I forgot it was Friday. And I'm like, I'm when we use Voxer for business and we like, we all text too. And I'm like, I will literally turn off my notifications on you. On, like on Voxer, like I'm not going to respond to you it, so that I can hold you accountable. Like go rest, stop texting me. Right. But I say that to say, this is for anyone. Like, how are you doing business? Because we're also going to look at what pressures does the way that corporate capitalistic business, right. Put on you. What have you been taught about your funnels? What have you been taught about how you're supposed to show up for clients? What have you been taught about grind culture? What have you been taught about the hustle mentality? What have you been taught about dishonoring your humanity and your needs and your rest and your pleasure and your happiness and your joy in the, for the sake of business? Yeah. And how do we flip all that on its head? 
But I'll put one last asterisk on it real quick. Anyone can take it. However, to be clear, and I'm going to give people like the language and everything in the beginning, if folks have not taken Reclaim, Dismantle, or the Crash Course, especially white folks, if white folks have not taken, white or white passing, have not taken Dismantle or the Crash Course, it's going to be a much more difficult learning curve. A hundred percent. Which is why I'm teaching it in the summer after Crash Course and Dismantle end. A hundred percent. So I know you got to get going here, but I just want to say one thing. I'll make it short. Like spirit comes through all the time and says this in so many sessions where they'll tell people it's coming. Like they keep showing me this energy that's coming within corporate America, that there is going to be an explosion of like the system has to change. And so I hope it's open to people who are considering managing teams or being directors or managing people in corporate America, because this is the course. Like if I have told you this in a session, you need to go through the work and you need to understand this because overview, this is how the angels are working right now in America and the world to bring huge change. Yeah. Huge change. Yeah. I'll say this. It's open to anybody. Yeah. Which is so it's open to everyone. That is in business, which is everyone, right? Like it doesn't matter whether you run your business. That's why I'm saying, or you just serve people or lead people because just like any other form of oppression, each one of us has to change the way that we, our relationship to the, the thing that is oppressing us in this case, it's corporate capitalistic America and, and global. Um, I should say corporate capitalism globally, which Mm -hmm. is rooted in white supremacy, especially yeah if you're like c-suite executive if you're managing teams i will say like this like to like reinforce this idea of like spirit coming through to you the idea to do this or the i shouldn't say it wasn't my idea it was ancestors idea i literally so witching hour i woke up at 4 a.m like popped awake and was like (laughs) all that was on my spirit was you need to show people and teach people how you have gotten to having a six-figure business in a fully decolonized way where you get to show up every day so authentically. Like I'm on the internet cussing. My mama and my aunties and my godmother might not like it, but like they're always like, "Mm," you know, but they still listen to my podcast. So, (laughs) but I say that to say literally like, like the ancestor spirit woke me up at 4 a.m. when they always do, uh, like with something on my spirit. And that's what it was. And it was, it was literally like, to your point, the shift is coming. The change is coming. We're on that. We're on the edge. We're on the precipice of that change because the way that it's working right now is not working. No, it's not allowing for you know balance. It's not allowing for our well being. It's not allowing for our emotional, spiritual, physical prosperity. Yeah. And the biggest question I always get from folks next to you know like anti racism, anti oppression, decolonization, and honoring humanity is. But how do you have a stable, successful business that allows you to like basically say big middle finger to the way that like bro marketing and whiteness and corporate capitalistic America has always done it? Mm-hmm. And I personally will like, you know, transparency, I kind of took quote unquote for granted that like this is not something that's taught a lot or talked about or normalized. And so, yeah, no, an- ancestor, the ancestors came through and were like, all right, girl, summer 2021, you need to do this. Um, and it happened in like September, like the end of, or yeah, September, the end of Crash Course Expanded 
was like our last like two weeks or no, that was October. And I was like, yeah, I'm about to teach this. That's amazing. That's amazing. So excited for you, Weez. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. Well, I am here, you know, to be your support whenever you need anything. I know you are huge and you don't need me whatsoever, Mm -hmm. but if you ever- Not, not true. That is not true. I'm just a regular, you know, regular girl from Oakland who needs all of her community. That's the only reason I can, I can be great is because I'm in community with people who are great and who believe in me and who support me. And, you know, and there's a reciprocity there, you know, obviously I'm here on this podcast for a reason, you know? So I appreciate that, but I just want to reframe that. I don't, you know, that's also why I say like, I'm not an influencer. Like I am a regular girl who just has done my work and is really unapologetic about what I believe and how I want to show up for the world. I'm just really clear in my purpose. I'm walking in my divine, on my divine path and folks are choosing to join me on that. And I'm super honored to like be in that position. Well, I am so inspired by you always. And I love the work you do. And I think everybody should listen to according to these. And that's not how this works, which is perhaps the most brilliant title of a podcast ever. It literally, so it's, that's not how that works. And it literally came up because I say it all the time. I'm always like, no, that's not how that works. And I was like, oh, wait, (laughs) that needs to be the name of the show. Yeah. (laughs) Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. I appreciate you. Mm, All my love.